Okay, let's get started here with another edition of the Mo News Podcast. It is Wednesday, October 12th. I'm Mo Shwanunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news, or at least I try to, and read between the lines so you don't have to. Here are a few of the stories we're tracking on this Wednesday. Stern words for the Saudis from the White House after their big oil decision that could impact gas prices. I'll tell you how the White House says that move may change our relationship permanently. We got some great news from Deep Space on Tuesday. NASA has finished the analysis of that spacecraft we crashed into an asteroid two weeks ago. I'll tell you about how much we were able to nudge that rock the size of a football stadium. For all you fans out there of the Serial podcast, we had some major developments on the Adnan Saeed case on Tuesday. We also got a couple more headlines from the White House on immigration and a new move that could help gig economy workers. Mark Zuckerberg says he has some new VR goggles he wants you to try and they have quite the price tag. And I'll take a moment to remember acting legend Angela Lansbury. Okay, let's start first with the big news on the U.S.-Saudi front. This is a relationship that goes back 80 years to World War II. The White House says that President Biden is officially reevaluating our relationship with Saudi Arabia. That's after the country teamed up with Vladimir Putin to cut oil production last week. That move likely raises gasoline prices at an inopportune moment for Joe Biden, just ahead of midterm elections. And the move also helps President Putin as he's looking for money right now to continue his war effort in Ukraine. The White House is peeved here. President Biden went so far as to visit Saudi Arabia over the summer. You might remember the famous fist bump meeting. I'll have more on that in a second. Met with the Saudi leaders and said, not only do I not want you to cut production, I want you to increase production and get more oil flowing out there. A key spokesperson from the White House signaled openness to retaliatory measures now that the Saudis have cut production. But the Saudis and the Russians, they need the money right now. And cutting production, they see as the best way to get prices up there by eliminating supply. That then means that if demand stays equal or grows, that prices go up. And they need the money right now. They want oil prices to remain at a certain level so they can help their economies. So the White House is looking at retaliatory measures here. This comes as Senate Democrats also expressed their displeasure. Senator Bob Menendez, he's the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He's from New Jersey. He called for an immediate freeze on all aspects of our cooperation with Saudi Arabia, saying that that will include blocking future arms sales. We sell billions in arms every year to the Saudis. The White House and Democrats are accusing the Saudis of playing both sides in the Russia-Ukraine war and really making a move here to help Vladimir Putin when he needs it most. The Wall Street Journal has some interesting reporting here. They have some sources within the Saudi government who are talking about that July meeting that Joe Biden had with the Saudi crown prince, that's Mohammed bin Salman. You would remember it from the famous fist bump picture seen around the world. The Saudi officials tell the journal that that meeting did little to change Prince Mohammed's determination to chart a new foreign policy that's independent of U.S. influence. This is significant here because this is really a break from almost 80 years of an American-Saudi partnership. Not only did that meeting not help, if anything, Saudi officials tell the journal the visit angered Prince Mohammed. He was very upset at President Biden, who has said for months that MBS is a killer here for the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. And significantly, Joe Biden had that meeting with the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia over the summer. And then the White House leaked details from the meeting, clearly trying to get across to people who were concerned that he was meeting with somebody who killed the journalist. The White House leaked out that Biden yelled at him in that closed door meeting. Well, Prince Mohammed did not take well to those leaks and is now not willing to sacrifice much for the Biden administration. And obviously, by keeping oil production at its current levels or up, he's sacrificing billions and billions and billions of dollars. It's not just the leaks from that meeting, though. The other issues the Saudis have is the U.S. criticism of the decade-long Saudi war in Yemen. Uh, this war has seen a lot of atrocities, and the U.S. and, frankly, most of the West 
have been calling on the Saudis to end that war. And then there's Iran. Saudi Arabia sees them as their chief rival in the region, sees them as an enemy. And anytime the U.S. makes moves towards a nuclear deal with Iran, uh, it really upsets the Saudis. So the Saudis are saying here to Biden, we're going to start to do our own thing here. And the bottom line is the bottom line. They saw oil prices fall 30% from June to October. Saudi Arabia basically needs oil to be at about $78 a barrel to balance its budget. The price had come down to just about $80 until a couple of weeks ago. The Saudis were concerned. And so they led this move with the Russians to cut production with the goal of getting prices back up into the 90s or even $100. Okay, now to a little space news, the effort to save humanity from a potential asteroid. I'm sure a number of you remember that spacecraft I told you about that uh, NASA launched and plowed into an asteroid a couple of weeks ago. So NASA achieved the first part of that mission a couple weeks ago, hitting an asteroid 7 million miles away. What they've been doing for two weeks now has been an analysis as to whether we successfully knocked it off course. On Tuesday, NASA officially announced that we succeeded in shifting the orbit of the asteroid and even more than expected. The program is called DART. They come up with these acronyms that uh, tend to resemble their general goals here. So DART seems to work. They shot the DART, if you will, from Earth last fall. It took 10 months at 14,000 miles per hour to travel 7 million miles. The spacecraft is about the size of a golf cart and it slammed into the asteroid two weeks ago. This asteroid, by the way, is the size of a football stadium. So you can imagine this in deep space, a golf cart crashing into a football stadium. Now, keep in mind here, one of the reasons they chose this asteroid is because it presents no threat to Earth, but they wanted to test this Earth-saving system. It took days of telescope observations from Chile and South Africa to then determine how much the impact altered the path of this 525-foot asteroid. Now, what's notable about this asteroid is that it's actually revolving, orbiting around a larger asteroid. We decided to take our shot at the smaller asteroid that revolves around the bigger one and said, how much can we knock it off course? So this is what NASA learned. Prior to crashing into it, this asteroid would take about 11 hours and 55 minutes to circle the bigger asteroid. The DART spacecraft successfully changed its orbit by 32 minutes. Now, initially, NASA said that success would have been a 10-minute change. They were able to do it by three times that amount, 32 minutes. Now, I know this might not seem like a big deal, moving it off course by 32 minutes, but it is a big deal and proves that we can shift asteroids if we have enough notice. Think about this in spatial terms. We're talking about millions of miles, tens of thousands of miles per hour. It doesn't take much in space terms with enough notice to nudge it just a bit so it doesn't hit Earth. NASA was overjoyed to make this announcement on Tuesday, but says the agency still has a lot of work ahead. The key thing here is that it's all about warning time before a rock is headed our way. The head of the program, that's Dr. Nancy Shabbat, she said DART gave it a small nudge, about a 4% change, but if you wanna do this in the future, you wanna do it years in advance of it potentially hitting Earth. NASA scientists warned not to draw too many conclusions from this experiment, though they do remain cautiously optimistic that they were able to A, hit the asteroid, and B, knock it off course three times what they thought. Every asteroid is shaped differently. They have different compositions, constructions, uh, angles of approach. And that's something that's being emphasized every time they think about how to configure this mission for the future. What NASA officials say is that not every asteroid will behave similarly, and they will continue to study the effect this mission had on this particular asteroid for lessons for others. By the way, looking at space overall, I have some good news and bad news for all of you. I'll do the good news first. NASA believes that all the planet killers, what they call all asteroids half a mile large or bigger, the one that took out the dinosaurs was about six miles wide, 
None are expected our way in the next 100 years, and NASA believes it has accounted for 99% of them. But then you have the smaller asteroids, like the one we hit, Dimorphos. We only know about 40% of the smaller or medium-sized asteroids. These asteroids, if somehow they got through and hit Earth, could take out a city, uh, but thankfully wouldn't take out all of humanity. Either way, they want to prevent the taking out of a city by the asteroid. So right now, they're doubling down on their effort to locate the rest of the asteroids out there. Again, NASA believes they've located about 40% of the smaller asteroids. And so the goal is to locate the other 60% in the coming years. Okay, some news on the Ukraine front. G7 leaders held an emergency virtual meeting on Tuesday with the Ukrainian president. That's where uh, the U.S. and other countries pledged Ukraine more financial support, more weaponry, and more missile defense system. This all comes as Russia hit Ukraine with blistering missile strikes on Monday and then again on Tuesday across the country. A statement from the G7, these are the seven largest economies in the world, said that Russia's attacks on Ukraine represent, quote, indiscriminate attacks on innocent civilian populations, and they constitute a war crime. Russia on Monday took revenge for the bridge explosion over the weekend with more than 80 missiles. It killed nearly two dozen Ukrainians, injured more than 100 in 11 different cities. Those missile attacks continued on Tuesday. Ukrainian officials said that numerous Russian cruise missiles had been shot down, but several did hit their targets, including power plants in western and central Ukraine, very far from the front lines. At the G7, Zelensky urged the West to supply Ukraine with more defensive weapons to effectively help them create an air shield of sorts over Ukraine to stop this missile threat on uh, Ukrainian civilians. They also pressed for tougher sanctions on Russia's energy sector. They're looking to stop the flow of money to Russia for its oil and gas. This all comes as there is fear that Putin may escalate his missile attacks on Ukraine. Putin just ordered more than 2,400 drones from Iran to be part of his war efforts. Okay, before we get to the rest of the day's news, I want to take a quick ad break here. This really is big news as we continue to grow this podcast. We have our first big sponsor this week. That's Athletic Greens. I just started taking their AG1 supplement powder a couple weeks ago, and I'm very excited to share my experience with you. So last year, I was feeling a bit sluggish. I ended up meeting with a nutritionist. They ended up prescribing me a whole regiment of vitamins, some to take at breakfast, some for lunch, and some for dinner. It really is a lot of pills to keep track of and has gotten a bit expensive. My goal was to replace some, if not all of those supplements, and I have been able to do that now with just one scoop of the AG1 powder. I had one this morning. You just throw a scoop of the powder into a glass of water, and it's really that simple. The AG1 powder contains 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins, minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support gut health. All of this really combines for a strong immune system as we head into cold and flu season. Really view it as your nutritional insurance policy. So we're excited to have Athletic Greens and their AG1 powder as our sponsor here on the Mo News Podcast. And we have some extra good news if you're a Mo News listener. If you head right now to athleticgreens.com backslash Mo News, they have a special offer for listeners. In addition to the monthly deal for the AG1 powder at less than $3 a day, you will also get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Again, the website is athleticgreens.com backslash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, to learn all about what AG1 can do for your health and take advantage of this offer. Again, you get those 75 important ingredients with that powder daily for just about $3 a day, along with a special Mo News offer here, a one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. 
Okay, back here at home for a second, Adnan Sayed, you might know him from that hit podcast serial, got some great news on Tuesday as prosecutors officially dropped charges against him in the 1999 killing of his ex-girlfriend. That came after additional DNA testing excluded him as a suspect in the case. The state's attorney for the city of Baltimore, that's Marilyn Mosby, said her office will continue to pursue justice for Ha Min Lee, that's the ex-girlfriend who was killed in 1999, but it has officially closed its case against Saeed, who spent 23 years in prison for the killing. Saeed was released last month, but he was awaiting a decision on whether he would face a retrial. Saeed was originally convicted 22 years ago, back in the year 2000, of the killing of then 18-year-old Ha Min Lee. 14 years into his sentence, the case started to draw some attention again when it was featured in the Serial podcast. This is the famous big podcast many of you may have heard of, if not listened to, back in 2014, 2015. The podcast went into the case and drew a number of questions about the fairness of the trial, whether any evidence was withheld, and really started to pose some questions about whether Saeed actually did it. But for years after the podcast, Saeed's effort to get a new trial were stymied. Then finally, in September of this year, a judge vacated his conviction, saying investigators had identified other possible suspects. It's interesting, I've heard from a number of you on Instagram who've been following this case, and if you recall the podcast, they ask a lot of questions about whether Saeed did it, but some of you aren't sure that he still may have done it. Either way, he served 23 years in prison, he is now 41 years old, and he is finally free. So after spending his 20s and his 30s in prison, his lawyers say that he now dreams of going to law school. For now, he plans on getting his bachelor's degree, which he started while he was incarcerated, and then hopes to go to law school after that. All right, we got some news on the immigration front on Tuesday. It's been a record year for illegal entries. More than 2 million migrants have been documented crossing the U.S. border in the last year. One of the reasons for the surge are the number of asylum seekers we've been seeing in the last year from Venezuela. More than 150,000 Venezuelans have been apprehended in just the last year alone. This is the latest data we have as of the end of August. Well, on Tuesday, we learned that the Biden White House is now considering a new humanitarian parole program for some Venezuelans. The New York Times reports that the Biden administration hopes that this plan will actually allow for more organized entry and discourage Venezuelans from continuing to cross the southwestern border illegally. If implemented, the program for Venezuelans would be similar to the humanitarian program offered Ukrainians. Again, it would be a much more organized program for Venezuelans to leave their country. Right now, that country has really fallen apart in the last decade and nearly 7 million Venezuelans, about a quarter of the population, have left in the last eight years alone. Now, the big question here, if the White House proceeds with it, is whether it'll receive bipartisan support from both Republicans and Democrats. That Ukrainian program, Helping Ukraine Refugees, has received support from both parties. Republicans have been less welcoming in recent months to the massive number of Venezuelans who have been fleeing the instability in their country. You might remember the whole Martha's Vineyard situation where Ron DeSantis flew uh, 50 migrants from Texas to Massachusetts, to Martha's Vineyard, those were Venezuelans seeking asylum. This is all made much more difficult by the fact that the U.S. does not currently have diplomatic relations with the regime in Venezuela, so hasn't been able to repatriate or deport anybody who's been crossing the border. Immigration advocates for months have been calling for a more orderly process for all vulnerable immigrants, including these asylum seekers from Venezuela. Okay, we got a date from Buckingham Palace on Tuesday on when the coronation of King Charles will be. Everyone can mark their calendars for Saturday, May 6th at Westminster Abbey. 
Uh, start checking the mail now for your invites. The coronation ceremony is something that has taken place for nearly a thousand years for all British kings and queens, though the palace in their announcement on Tuesday said that next year's ceremony will reflect the more modern day role of the monarchy. You can translate modern role to mean that they're going to bring down the pomp and circumstance a little bit as well as the cost. Now, a reminder that Charles is already king. He became king at the point that Queen Elizabeth, his mother, passed away. But the coronation is a symbolic and religious formality that uh, the British are still going to go ahead with. King Charles and Queen Consort Camilla will be crowned in the service. It will retain some historical elements of past coronations. That includes Charles. Apparently, he'll be anointed with holy oil, receive the orb, the coronation ring, the scepter. Uh, this will all take place at Westminster Abbey, which has been holding this ceremony for nearly 900 years. The last one of these coronations, of course, was Queen Elizabeth's, his mother, back in 1952. It was actually the first one to be televised. Charles will, I guess, make the second ceremony to be televised here. Now, we aren't getting many indications yet or details on how the uh, palace is looking to bring down the cost or bring down the pomp, but there are multiple reports that the first thing they're looking at is the guest list. Apparently, Queen Elizabeth, back in 52, had 8,000 guests at her coronation. It's looking like Charles is only going to get to invite about 2,000 for his next year. Okay, we're going to continue to track that LA City Council controversy I told you about in yesterday's podcast. This all is in regards to a leaked audio recording with racist and disparaging remarks. While President Biden yesterday joined what we can call a growing chorus of Democratic leaders calling for resignations of the three Democratic politicians who were at that meeting last year that we uh, heard details from in that audio recording. Angry protesters recently disrupted a city council meeting. They're all asking for resignations as well. And you're really starting to see some racial fault lines get exposed here in this heavily democratic city. I told you a bit yesterday about this profanity lace recording. The LA Times and New York Times have obtained the audio uh, from this meeting last year. It was led by a councilwoman, Nuri Martinez, who was the chair of the LA City Council. She is Latina. She has issues with a white city council member. But that white city council member happens to have a black child. Well, she went after the child and used some really racist terms, including comparing the child to a Changuito, which is a Spanish for little monkey. She also called uh, Oaxacan immigrants living in Koreatown short little dark people. Some really offensive stuff in the recording. Martinez stepped down as the city council president on Monday, but has kept her city council seat. She's taking a leave of absence, though people are saying, please just resign from the council altogether that includes the mayor, that includes President Biden, etc. The issue for critics right now is that there were other people in that meeting uh, and heard on that audio tape. And so because they were present for this uh, language and didn't call her out, people are calling for the resignation of two other city council members who were at this meeting. Uh, incidentally, one other person who was there at the meeting, a head of a powerful labor organization in LA, resigned his post on Monday. We'll continue to track this. It really exposes some of the racial fault lines in LA as they face a big election this November. They're electing a new mayor. Okay, a bit of tech news for you here. We've been hearing for years that virtual reality is going to be the thing. You're going to be wearing these goggles to go into this virtual reality universe. So far, the technology has been expensive and clunky. Well, on Tuesday, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg said that his company has a new virtual reality headset dubbed the MetaQuest Pro that's going to change things for you. The MetaQuest Pro, say that three times fast, apparently will start shipping out later this month, but will have quite a price tag attached to it. The new headset will reportedly cost 
$1,500. That is triple the cost of the last version, which cost about $400. Zuckerberg, who's the head of Meta, by the way, Meta is the name uh, Facebook took on last year as it has the many companies, Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram. So Meta is now the parent company. He has what's called the Meta's Connect Conference, where he debuted this device. The conference is geared towards virtual reality and augmented reality developers. These $1,500 goggles were developed in a partnership with Microsoft. Their big issue and the reason why they're trying to attract developers is they're trying to get good apps, programs, things to do with these goggles to somehow prove to you that you need to pay this amount of money. Apparently these new goggles have new embedded sensors, better hand tracking, new lenses for improved experiences. The idea apparently here is to have some mixed reality features as you put these goggles on, blending elements of your actual physical world as well as the virtual world. The metaverse has been a huge thing for Meta. They're spending billions and billions here. They see this as the future. Zuckerberg has been touting this as a key important feature for the future of the company. It remains to be seen though how many people will start to shell out the $1,500 for those VR goggles later this month. I think I know how this one ends, but the folks at Meta remain pretty optimistic. Okay, we got some potentially big news for the millions of gig workers in the country. You might know who you are. You freelance, you, uh, you're part-time, you do contract work, you're considered gig workers, while the Biden White House is proposing a new rule that could put more of you on a company's payroll. The rule would place a more stringent test to determine when companies can count workers as contractors versus employees, uh, actually giving the benefit of the doubt to the employees. And this would affect millions of workers across a range of industries, healthcare, restaurants, construction, and rideshare transportation like Uber and Lyft drivers. Right now, the country is working under a rule passed by the Trump administration back in 2020 uh, that made it easier for firms to classify workers as contractors. So the rule right now benefits companies. What the Biden White House is trying to do here is change labor law Law, essentially make it harder to count people, gig workers, as contractors, instead needing to count them as employees. What does that mean? Well, employees are eligible for protections like minimum wage, medical leave, overdime pay, and those don't apply to them when they're independent contractors. Now, among the companies that have been fighting this, not surprisingly, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, they want to continue to call these people gig workers so they don't have to offer them benefits. They've been fighting efforts to classify their drivers or delivery workers as employees. Now, this rule won't take effect immediately. It still needs to make its way through the formal regulatory process. There needs to be public uh, comments, etc. You can imagine there'll be some potential legal action here, but it is still a, a notable development. Okay, before we go, I want to remember acting legend Angela Lansbury. You might know the actress uh, from stage, from the big screen, or of course from Murder, She Wrote, where she starred for years. Her family announced on Tuesday that she passed away at the age of 96. She was actually just a few days shy from her 97th birthday. That was set for Sunday. Lansbury had a remarkable career over eight decades. She won five Tony Awards, including one most recently in 2009 at the age of 83. Her best known Broadway work was probably a couple decades ago where she played pie maker Nellie Levitt in Sweeney Todd. You might remember her though from some of her more recent hits that included her role. She was the voice of Mrs. Pot in Beauty and the Beast uh, back in the early 90s. Uh, had some of the great moments in that film, but she's probably most well known Known for the role of Jessica Fletcher, the mystery writer slash amateur crime writer on the hit Murder, She Wrote. I was looking back at this, and that show actually ran for 12 seasons from 1984 to 1996. Uh, many of us remember growing up watching that on Sunday nights after football on CBS. Notably, Lansbury is one of those people who never wanted to retire. She worked through her mid-90s. I caught an interview that she did just about four years ago at the age of 92. She was asked by the reporter why she didn't retire. She replied that, quote, if you have the energy and the enthusiasm, and the interest, I don't think you ever really stop. Some inspirational words from Angela Lansbury. She will be missed. 
Okay, I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. A reminder to check out the link to Athletic Greens in the show notes. They are our first big sponsor, so we'd appreciate a little love over there. Go check out the deal they have made specifically for Mo News listeners just like you. Also, a reminder to please follow or subscribe to the show on whatever app you're listening to us on right now. It'll ensure that you don't miss a single episode. On most apps, it's usually up there in the right corner, or you can hit the bell on Spotify. Also, a reminder, if you can, to leave a review for the show. Every review matters and helps us grow the program. If you have any questions, feedback, or pitches, you can also email me over at podcast at mo.news. We also have a new edition of the Mo News newsletter out today. You can go check that out and subscribe to it over at monews.bulletin.com. And don't forget, if you haven't yet, to follow me over on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.